welcome back to another episode of the Who Dat Jedi podcast. Um, you may have missed us last week because we were in the dark. Um, we'll get to that a little bit later. Um, my name is Aaron, and as always, first of all, to my left is Dave. Hi. And to my right is Fredo. Hello. So, um, yeah, so, yeah, we were going, we had full fully planned to record an episode last Thursday, but um, Hurricane Zeta came through on Wednesday evening and uh, promptly knocked all of our power out. Dave, you had it for the least amount, which was kind of interesting because Uptown, you lose power like all the time and forever. <laughs> and it was like you didn't have it lost, for. but I was without power from Wednesday about 6 p.m. until Saturday at... Um, about 1 p.m. So it was like watching The Mandalorian was, you know, in in the dark living room on an iPad, hoping that, you know, the cellular network, you know, keeps up. So, Fredo, you just got power back, right? Yeah, uh, yesterday evening, I finally got, I've been without power basically around the same time as you lost around Wednesday. Uh, I'd gone to help my folks out. They lost power. They got it back Saturday in the afternoon, but I didn't get back at my place till yesterday evening. So today's been the wonderful day of, hey, uh, I don't have anything in the refrigerator to eat. Let's go get some stuff because everything has to get thrown out. And Dave, how, how long were you without power? I think like about 12 hours. Everything cracked on at like five in the morning um, the night that we had lost it. And uh, so I had to run around the house turning all the lights off. Uh, cause I didn't want the kids to wake up at five in the morning. Nobody wants that. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and that was the biggest hardship we had. I mean, like we, we had to clean up some branches and everything else, but it, you, you know, know, I, I said that I say this about this hurricane, like it was the best possible way to ride out a hurricane. It didn't, it didn't exceed a level two. Uh, it, it went through super quick. It wasn't hot. Uh, yeah, we had a cold front come in like right after. Um, if you're going to ha- go through a hurricane, uh, you know, that's the way to do it. Well, yeah, yeah it, no. it was. But yeah, I was like going, oh, my gosh, I better be able to watch The Mandalorian on Friday. <laughs> otherwise, I'll be really upset. Fredo, you're going to say something. No, I was just going to say, you know, I kept saying to everybody because, you know, it's upsetting. You don't have power for more than 24 hours and you start freaking out because to the rest of the world, you just, why aren't you? And you got to remind people, no, I I literally have no way of connecting to everything. Cell towers are also without power, which meant that most of our online connections are gone because you're struggling to get a signal. Uh, But I was like, look, this thing turning from a weak category one to a strong category two in 24 hours, was gone in under six. The biggest damage it did is it damaged some people's roofs, knocked out power for the entire region, and tore down a bunch of poles, transformers, and trees. And outside of the one poor soul who actually electrocuted themselves, there's been no other mentions of fatalities or injuries. So you're like, yeah. in all outcomes, you know, if you if you had told me a strong hurricane is going to go right through the middle of New Orleans, and this is what we're going to get. I'd have said yes, please. Of course, yeah. It was weird. We were sitting there, and all of a sudden, just went totally still. And Britt was like, "Wow, look at that! Just totally still." Like, we went, "Duh!" Her, the eye is like right over. And they yeah. said last time, 
Yeah, I mean, this is not the Nolan's New Orleans Hurricane podcast. Sorry, everybody, but you know, it's you know, but it was like, oh, the, that's the eye. Wow. And they were like, this is really creepy. And I was like, get the dogs out yeah. to pee. Go, 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 go <laughs> out to pee. <laughs> it's like, do it now. <laughs> Otherwise, we're going to be crossing our legs for God knows who, how long. So, um, right. Yeah. I know it was weird walking, you know, stepping outside and seeing the pink salmon skies. Oh yeah, I've, I've been I've been through a couple of eyes in my lifetime, and it's it's always such a weird experience. But mm-hmm. uh, yeah, like to your point, Aaron, I think this is the first one since sixty five. I think they said sixty five yeah. in New Orleans. But yeah. Anyway, well, let's get on to the Star Wars stuff because you know we that's why you're listening to this podcast. So I hope you figured out we we're talking about the hurricane a little bit, but we gotta check in on each other, you know. Um, but anyway, let's do our normal trivia. Um, we're, we're back to the um, Trivial Pursuit DVD edition So this is the entire saga Nothing to do with the Mandalorian um, So who wants to go first? Fredo or, D- or Dave? Hello. Uh, Fredo, Hello Fredo raises his hand in a podcast That's awesome um, But I also said I will <laughs> So alright So you get What pilot gives young Anakin a brief tutorial on a starship's controls while traveling to Naboo. Ah, I knew this one. Uh, it's Captain something or other, uh, which isn't his actual name, uh, from Naboo. I cannot think of the name now to save my life. Dave, gonna say it, I'm Dave gonna... for bonus points? Oh, jeez. I'm glad you volunteered for this one. I'll just say that. I, I can't remember the guy's name. It's a really nice moment, though. It's a very human moment. I've always liked it, but I can't remember the guy's name. It's Rick Oley. I didn't even yep. have to look at it. I knew that. All right. Well, <laughs> I said I remembered it. Yeah, I remembered it. I just it's forgot. it's one of the most non-Star Wars Star Wars names, too. It sounds yep. like, you know, the guy you see at the hardware store, you know. All right, so Dave, what creature kills Luke's Tauntaun? I have a rule that I, oh, I read the first question that I see. I'm sorry, Fredo. I have a rule that I read the first one I see, and that's the one I saw. So what creature kills Luke's Tauntaun? The Wampa. It was the Wampa. Yep. Wampa. All right, well, now... The first one I read were another Tauntaun question. This is for me. How many horns sprout from a Tauntaun's head? And I'm not looking around the room because I know there's some Tauntauns right over there. But um, actually, I know this is two horns. Yes, it is. Two horns. Ha <laughs> Yes. All right. Well, now that we're adequately stretched and warmed up, on to the news with Fredo. All right, let's see if we can make this way so we can get to the meat and potatoes of today. Uh, first things first, uh, Throne Ascendancy Greater Good has been announced uh, coming out the next year. The Greater Good. The Greater Good, yes. The it Greater is Good. The Greater Good, yeah. It's all about the Greater Good. The Greater Good. Yeah, you got to put that in here now, Dave. You got to find a way. To <laughs> The greater good. How can this be for the greater good? The greater good. So next year actually is that not only is the 30-year anniversary of Heir to the Empire, which kick-started the expanded universe and introduced Grand Admiral Thrawn. So next year on May the 4th, which is an interesting day, yes we know, uh, the next chapter in the Throne Ascendancy trilogy is coming out, which is titled Greater Good. 
So uh, it's across the ascendancy, seemingly inconsequential events could herald the doom of the Chiss. Thrawn and the expansionary defense fleet rally to unco uncover enemy plots and they discover a chilling truth. And so they're, uh, they're teaming up with also, Del Rey's also teaming up with Outer Print to release a very limited edition of Thrawn Ascendancy, kind of like the one they did for uh, the first volume of the trilogy. Um, so they're going to have different color pages and a different cover. So, and uh, each one's signed by Timothy Son. There you go. And, and they're 150 bucks each. So not only for those who really love Grand Admiral Thrawn. I, I like those novels a lot, but I haven't got into the Ascendancy trilogy yet because it feels a little anticlimactic. Is it's the prequel, you know, thing where you're like, well, I know all these people. Most of these people are going to survive, and so hey, you sound like me think, before Solo. I know it takes some of the agency out of it, some of the. Tension. I think I think part of the problem is because Thrawn's nature is so cold and calculating, it makes it difficult to connect in some aspects. So you're looking for the other characters to provide that emotional connection to the plot and the characters, and that could be harder to do. Well, and so not not to be Debbie Downer here, but how much of this is a niche audience as well? Because I'm sitting here going, I like I like Thrawn as a character. You know, I I liked him on Rebels. I you know I've read a little bit of the original. Uh, Zon trilogy, but but I could I could give a Wampus butt about you know a, a new Thrawn trilogy. I, and but uh, that's like with all due respect to Timothy Zahn and everything. But I'm wondering is it is it kind of a niche audience for either you know for for those people who are just diehard you know um, heir to the Empire you know type fans. Well, it's it's an interesting dynamic because on the one hand. He's arguably, I mean, arguably next after Ahsoka, he's arguably the biggest expanded, you know, non-movie generated character we've ever had sure. until, say, Mandalorian. So there has been always an interest and an intrigue behind him. But I also recognize that you're right. He's almost, you know, he's almost outgrew the trilogy he came out of. But he's also not something, not something for everybody because of his nature. He's a he's a thinker. He's a strategist. He's not the guy with the lightsaber, you know, or or with the cool armor flying across the galaxy. That's not him. Right, we got well, my son. I, we got my son a little notebook that has Thrawn on on the cover of it. So he needed a little um, like journal book to write in. So he practices French and et cetera and. It's got Thrawn on the cover, and I just thought that was so appropriate because <laughs> it's like the thinker, you know, he's the thinking character. So, so okay, so next bit of news, and actually, this is more less full news than more speculation and possibility. Uh, they were interviewing Felicity Jones within the Hollywood Reporter, and they got to the point about talking about Star Wars and Rogue One and Jen Erso. And uh, she says, and this is her quote. I just keep saying that reincarnation is totally possible in the Star Wars universe. So I feel there's unfinished business for Thanks, Jin, Maul. for yeah. sure. <laughs> and, and yeah, you never saw that, you know, you never see the dead bodies. I think it would be fascinating to see her getting older, wiser, and fighting the dark forces of, in the universe, of which there are many, it seems. So. Sorry, sorry. What are the odds? Are you what, dead? what odds do we put on this? Yeah. What are the odds? Zero point. 
zero zero one percent chance something like that happens. You see the other side of that scene, the white light goes whoop, right by, and then her and Cassian look at each other and go, What was that? Huh. <laughs> kind of like CJ Gardner Johnson getting hit on in the game the other night. Well, <laughs> oh, no, the, the light's coming at them, and you see them fall into a sinkhole on the beach. And the light comes over them. No, Baby Yoda jumps out and, like, you know, for, puts a force field around them, literally, and saves yeah. them both. Yeah. Yeah, y'all got it all wrong. The, we're talking about cloning, you know? She's been cloned. Her her clone is the one that's in it. She is the daughter of one of the Empire's most brilliant scientists. And you know he has probably some genetic material of hers around someplace. And all right, we, need, we, need, we need to stop and move on to the next one. <laughs> You're going to make me mad. <laughs> okay. So, speaking of bringing stuff back from the dead, uh, they were interviewing Ron Howard on the movie podcast. <laughs> Ron Howard died? What? Yeah, no. No, they're talking to Ron Howard on Lights, Camera, Barstool, and they ask him about the potential for Solo 2. So his quote is, no rumblings, though, it, though. and it's, this is not a spoiler or anything, but I think there's interest in those characters. I think there's interest in the gangster world somewhere down the line. But I can assure you, yeah, but I can assure you there's nothing being developed right now for either a movie or Disney Plus. But one great thing is there has been a lot of affection shown for Solo. And so, of course, that keeps boding well for them to eventually turn it around. Uh, I, I'm, again, I come back to who died and made him Pope. I mean, it's like I, I, he's he is the director of Solo. I get it. We have not seen his contract. Maybe he does get like right of first refusal. I understand those possibilities. That's what Fredo's trying to He's looking at me like I'm going to shoot those arguments back. I get that. But he's not a Lucasfilm spokesperson. So for him to say, I assure you that nothing is being done, it's like, well, okay. You don't know. <laughs> I mean, well. Right. I, no, I mean, I guess kind of the point is uh, that ultimately he would expect to have been tapped for it. That doesn't necessarily mean uh, that's not true. I mean, that's not guaranteed. There's no guarantee in that. He would expect it. That doesn't necessarily mean that Lucasfilm has to say, yeah, we're thinking about doing it. And I think more than anything, what he's touching upon is that there's been such a turnaround on the attitude of fans towards Solo that the idea of making a Solo 2 doesn't seem that far-fetched anymore. Like, it used, like afterward, like in the immediacy of it, I think everybody was like, nope, that's it. Kill it. Bury it the, you know, in a desert. Now... It's more likely that it could, you know, it could come back to life. I would, I would be more inclined to give credence to a story from Jonathan Kasdan or or Lawrence Kasdan, because I mean, you got to have some. I mean, Ron Howard's not going to write a movie. Now mm -hmm. he may say, "I assure you that nothing's happening," because he hasn't seen a script. That doesn't mean that he's being involved in a script. I don't know. Mm -hmm. So I, I just find it funny that they keep interviewing Ron Howard, and he keeps telling us like inside Lucasfilm, you know, stuff. So I think I think he's got, you know, to the point that we're sort of dancing around. I do think he has a producer's role, mm -hmm. uh, and he like that's in his contract. Um, because for him to like put himself out there on a limb like that, there's no reason for him to do that unless he's sure. Yeah. Well, or unless yeah. he, we're, I mean, we're all assuming that Ron Howard's mm -hmm. this, you know, 
you know, Boy Scout Opie Cunningham of a dude, you know, he may, <laughs> he may be, he may just be one of those people who is just enough in the know that makes it, he's the guy sitting at the bar saying, just because my brother-in-law does such and such, you know, that means I know everything about it, you know? So I, I'm again, not to be Debbie Downer, yeah. man. Okay. I, I'm, mm-hmm. I've, by the way, I've got tons of positive things to say about the Mandalorian. So this is all the negative <laughs> crap I'm getting out. But I mean, but again, I just, I, and again, maybe I'm more, upset with reporters of like, you know, and I wish Ron Howard just say, I don't know. Why are you asking me? Yeah. You know, yeah. ask somebody at Lucasfilm about this. And if he does have, you know, of course the next question that a reporter should ask then is, well, okay. So when you signed on to do solo, did they give you, um, you know, anything and then watch his hemming and hawing and politicizing around that answer, then you would, you'd kind of know. But I don't think any, to my knowledge, nobody is asking that question, you know. So anyway, uh, and I, and I think that's really the key is they ask him about it, but they'll give him enough leeway to kind of, you know, snake around the the issue without being definitive. But I think I think he's also being quite cognizant of the interest that's out there, which again says a lot for the property. Meanwhile, John Carlo Esposito is telling us about seven seasons of The Mandalorian. You know, so. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, he only he said, said four. He said, he said no, no, well, he said four, but he has been doing interviews, so who knows what he's talking about. Uh, speaking of interviews, uh, John Boyega has been doing interview rounds for, he's starring in uh, British filmmaker Steve McQueen's Amazon series Small Axe. So he was being interviewed by The Hollywood Reporter for a story on kind of the year he's had the project and the topic got to Star Wars. I said that apparently a Disney executive reached out to him about his criticisms of Star Wars. And John said, look, this is his quote. There was a lot of explaining on their end in terms of the way they saw things. They gave me a chance also to explain what my experience was like. I'd hope that me being so open with my career at this stage will help the next man. Next guy wants to be assistant to DOP producer. I hope the conversation is not such a taboo or elephant because someone just came and said it. So he's talking about which, you know, it's going to go to something else. Uh, uh, further interview, somebody asked him about going back to Star Wars. And he says, right now, he considers himself retired from Star Wars. However, if uh, somebody decided to do, like, say, an animated series uh, with uh, Colin Trevorrow's original story for Finn, he says he'd be okay with it. He says, quote, I'm a Mandalorian fan. So Lucasfilm is doing very well with their TV shows. And an animated show would be dope. We could do it from home. Yeah, I, I just want to remind him that he was the one who said, don't Disney plus me. But anyway, I will I will say that I, I in my in my brain, I really hope that the conversation was like not Disney saying, what the heck are you doing here, man? You know, but I hope the conversation was, dude talk to us about this what's going on man sorry Mm -hmm. you're so mad why don't you please unload you know and it was you know just an honest you know uh and and beneficial conversation i would like to think that that that's the way lucasfilm disney would would address it um but um it's very interesting that 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 conversation actually happened you don't hear about that you you know i mean people badmouth their former employers all the time i mean you know you don't hear NFL, you know, general managers, you know, oh, former players, sit down. Let what what was what's stressing you out here? But so I I think it's kind of a kind of a neat story. So 
Mm -hmm. uh, I think it kind of indicates, first of all, that there's a recognition within Disney that the criticisms that John Boyega levied at them are not unfounded. And if nothing else, that it's something that they need to get in front of because being one of the biggest media corporations in the world, they definitely don't want, they want to have positive relationships with creators of all kinds, including creators of color, you know, whether it's black people, indigenous, or whatever, uh, race, creed, demographic, etc. So they definitely don't want to have that out and that be the image. And Disney's just, we take care of the whites and uh, everybody else plays second, you know, second but, fiddle here. And, you know, it's... Um... Having been through many parent-teacher conferences and many, you know, worked at a grocery store and behind the service counter, you're right what they said about getting in front of it and handling the situation correctly. Because if somebody comes at you mad, the best thing you can do is to say, man, that must suck. I'm really sorry that you're feeling that way. You know, mm -hmm. please explain to me what, what, did I, what did I do to make you feel this way? And then that just right. brings them, it, it calms them. And it's like, all right, I'm not as mad at you anymore. I'm still mad about this thing, but I'm not, you know, it, it, well, it, it happened, right? So they could have just let him keep going, but to, to just address it straight on, it was a pretty good move. Mm -hmm. uh, I think part of the thing is also, there's gotta be a recognition from Lucasfilm that they are in a way tied to John Boyega. He is, was one of the faces of the sequel trilogy going forward. They're going to want to have a positive relationship with him, with Oscar Isaac, with Kelly Marie Tran, with Daisy Ridley, with Adam Driver, because these guys, these guys and gals are going to be crucial for them in the future in some kind of way. I mean, we're just talking right now about a movie project that didn't do well in the box office, but now there's such a passion for it that may return in some kind of way. So... Disney's also not dumb. They have to recognize we want to have a positive relationship with John Boyega if we ever want to bring Finn back. Yeah. Because you can't bring Finn and it be some other actor. Even if it's another black actor, you can't do that. All so, right. Uh, the dead air there yeah. says it all. Cool. <laughs> so that's it in terms of the news. All right. Cool, cool. Um, so we're so you know we could do the show that we were going to do last week during the hurricane or we could talk about the newest episode of the mandalorian this yeah, is the stuff we we're doing last week oh no okay mandalorian okay you <laughs> win mandalorian, all right. yeah. yeah all right well yes yeah, so the long long wait is over and actually i i said to to my wife um and maybe i said it on the podcast the last episode i said think about this guys i mean especially us being the old old men in the room right um the get off my lawn crew we only had to wait 10 months less than 10 months for new live action star wars you know that's i mean that, that's yep. the eye of the hurricane type thing right there right i mean that doesn't, we it was you know before it was like you had to wait you know three years and then after the original saga, it was, you know, we had to wait, you know, what, 15, you know, so we only had to wait 10 months. Um, and, you know, I, so, uh, so yeah, we had. So the, the only comparison we had was uh, Solo, right? And that was only a five month Six. wait. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I guess that's um, true. Yeah. But, but. Well, That's okay. the only other comparison point. Well, for 10 <laughs> months, 10 months for a sequel. You know, 10 months for a sequel. Yeah. Anyway, go ahead, Fredo. Yeah, exactly. 
That's what I was going to say. And even in that case, Last Jedi and Solo were not tied together directly. Right. They were tangentially tied up. So yeah. well, let's, I guess, let's just do a, um, a brief recap. This will be Aaron's Cliff's Notes of, of um, ep- uh, Chapter 9, The Marshal. Um, and um, so we, we start off with uh, um, Mando and Baby Yoda walking through some dark streets with a lot of graffiti. Um, we're not going to get into all the stuff that was on the graffiti and everything, but they end up going into Grimorian fight, Grimorian fight club and <laughs> meeting up with the Cyclops dude, um, that we've seen in the trailer, um, voiced. It wasn't John Favreau. It was, uh, John, John Leguizamo. Yeah. Yeah. Who work, we work with John Favreau on chef. So that's how they know each other. So anyway, and, um, so it's obviously, you know, some kingpin type thing. And, uh, you know, what, what, what you've seen in the trailer is basically what, you know, what you see. And so, but Mando ends up chasing him down. He's, Mando says he's looking for other Mandalorians. And this guy really mainly just wants Beskar. So he's trying to, you know, capture Mando and get his Beskar. But anyway, it turns around and Mando gets, this guy hangs him upside down by his feet finds out that, that he knows of a Mandalorian on Tatooine. And so um, Mando leaves him to whatever creatures were, you know, out there in the streets. And Baby Yoda and Mando are off to Tatooine where we land in the same docking bay. And um, he uh, gets a speeder bike from uh, What's-Her-Bucket. Uh, but we do see R5-D4. That was kind of cool. Um Mm-hmm. And uh, but like I said, this is just the Cliffs Notes version. So he gets the the speeder bike and he goes off to looking for Moss Pelgo, right? Because every town in Tatooine starts with Moss. You know, it was kind of like when you were playing Star Wars. You know, as a kid with your figures, did you the docking bay we all landed in all the time was what? Moss docking bay uh, ninety seven ninety four. You always landed in docking bay ninety four. You know, but anyway, so yeah, Moss Eisley, then Moss Espa, now it's Moss Pelgo. Okay, whatever. Um, but anyway, so he's off to this little one horse town, and um, goes a riding into town on his uh, on a speeder bike. We get a great gif moment of baby Yoda with his ears flapping in the wind. Um, but he goes into a cantina where a weak way is working there, and um, in walks the marshal. Um, that is uh, wearing Boba Fett's armor. Sorry, spoiler alert. Should have said that up front. Oh, well. Um, but he's wearing Boba Fett's armor, and uh, it is, as we kind of guessed, and we talked about in our speculation, it was Cobb Vanth. We'll talk more about him here in a little bit. But, uh, yeah, Mando wants, he doesn't think that Cobb Vanth should be wearing the, uh, and, and played by Timothy Oliphant, right? Right. Yes. And so he doesn't think that he should be wearing the Mandalorian armor. And so they, they strike a deal to um, that. If they take care, if, if Mando helps him take care of the crate dragon, that is causing all sorts of havoc around Mos Pelgo, then um, he'll give him the armor back. And so they end up getting um, an allegiance with the Tusken Raiders who also want to take down the crate dragon and um so they're all working together and they all fight the crate dragon and they end up uh winning and um mando gets the uh boba fett armor and rides off into the sunset and we'll talk about what happens next 
that was mm-hmm. like I said, the Cliff's notes. Did I miss anything, mm-hmm. guys? Anything important that uh, in the uh, brief recap? Just uh, the character that George name you're looking thinking of was Peli Motto. That's a Sedaris repairman, uh, docking bay worker that befriends Mando, and it's got R five and all the other little fixing up drives. Other than that, everything. So initial reactions. Just uh, again, just your don't have to go too in depth. Um, I'll I'll start out. I was actually this uh, one of my favorite episodes actually of the previous eight, and you know now we're into the ninth. Um, I I thought I thought the cinematography was great. I love all there was. This is packed full of references and we'll talk about references a little bit that was just like i mean it was just dripping with references but not just star wars references um but again it was um you know it felt like star wars but something different and it did feel like you know john favreau playing with action figures this would be the scenario that you'd you'd put together right um uh i I dug the music actually uh, my wife brought it up. She said, you know, at one point when he's riding through the desert, it does sound kind of like David Argenstone, if you've ever heard his stuff, this new agey sci-fi type stuff. But anyway, um, but I thought the music was good, especially when um, the Tuscans, they show the Tuscans riding, you know, their Banthas single file, which was a great, you know, nod to, you know, a throwaway line from uh, A New Hope. Um, but the, the music there, it reminded me of like Lawrence of Arabia, you know, the, it just, the, the old, it, it, I mean, Ludwig went in a different, more like symphonic sound than what he typically did in the first season. Um, my only criticism is that the plot is very, very similar to when they're taking down the ATST, you know, um, it, the only thing that's different is that instead of training a bunch of people, you just have to learn how to work together. So, but I mean, the over it's, that's not the overall goal of the episode. So, um, I, I just, I thought it was great and we'll get into more reasons why here in a little bit, but, uh, Dave, what was your initial reactions? Um, I'd agree. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the series, um, if you, if you want to complain about this episode being redundant, with some of the thematic elements of the giant creature and helping the townspeople against the giant creature. Um, because this has happened a couple of times in season one. Um, actually the episode with the egg, uh, <laughs> uh, was a riff on this. And then, uh, the episode you talked about with the giant ATSC. Um, so, th- you know, they've, they've, they've gone back to the well a couple of times, but I think they didn't ever do it quite as well as they did it here. Um, and I really appreciated the direction they took this, uh, story, um, kind of continuing some of those loose threads from season one that we've talked about and, uh, the introduction of Cobb Vanth, um, who would cop Vanth, I should say, who was just, um, wonderful in this. Um, this was, uh, this was just for me. And I think we'll get into the cameo at the end and, you know, what all that means at at the end of our show. But um, to me, this was a very um, appropriate episode in terms of expanding the mythos uh, and not doing it in a way that hurts 
the show? Uh, yeah, off the top of my head, I think what I liked the most of the show was that it, though this episode is that it felt like a natural continuation of the story. All the elements from, you know, it leans heavily into those Western uh, movie elements that we know that are heavily present in Star Wars. Uh, the idea of the of the lone guy riding into the dusty, uh, you know, middle of nowhere town out on the bench of society and bringing people together to fight a common enemy. Yeah, there's a lot of this episode that felt not this, not derivative, but very much like it copied the homework of other episodes in season one. But I also think in part because it's doing the setting up for season two, for season two, I can kind of give it a slide on that. I mean, there's very much a, okay, let's get you back on your feet into the Mandalorian's world, uh, get you known. So it gives us an action beat right at the start with the fight at the Gamorrean uh, fight club, which by the way, was that the first time we've ever seen Gamorrean battle axes actually being used yeah i think so because I, I think in jedi it's just um they just yeah, like they clink just them together. Them. yeah yeah, they just yeah. Cling they them never, together. yeah yeah they never actually use them in battle whereas here we actually see them you know in their full power so to speak uh overall i enjoyed it i enjoyed the you know the presence of god vanth he, he acted as a good foil for man the formando uh yeah some of the stuff I mean, I love the fact that they're going back to the ideas that we've seen before, like Mando's uh, report with the Tuscan Raiders, how that plays into it. You know, it doesn't answer some questions we've had since season one, but we'll get into that. So, but overall, I enjoyed it. Um, so before, uh, so I'm calling a little bit of an audible here, Dave. Before we do the Cobb Vamp thing, let's let's talk about the references in the episode. So let's just get kind of our, you know, get the Wessel, the you know our. You know, our appetites wetted or whatever just get our brains spinning here because it was it was full of references like i said not just um within the star wars trilogy but our saga but um outside of it as well um obviously we had the spaghetti western this was you know you could have seen clint eastwood on the uh on the speeder bike um there was the the link to the aftermath trilogy i think this is the, one of the first times that books and cinema have married i mean kind i mean i mean that usually it seems like books just get decanonized you know if we can use that phrase in this reference but um because you know Cobb vanth is you know part of the it's part of the act comes from the aftermath trilogy um the knights of the old republic stuff the the crate dragon uh pearl Right, that's that's from mm -hmm. Kodor, right? That's from that's from Kodor, yeah. Uh, was it Kodor one? Yeah. And uh, there was also I I got this one from from Screen Rant. Um, was uh, the uh, it, there was a Jaws reference where you know they're where they're lining up the the explosives to take out the crate dragon, and the Tuscan Raider drops one of them. And the guy says, what, yeah. are you gonna, what are you doing? You're going to blow things up. And they almost come to blows. That happens in Jaws when the guy like drops a canister on the boat and Richard Dreyfuss starts yelling at him. Basically, it's the exact same scene. Um, and then, of course, you got the Star Wars references. You've got the, um, the uh, pod racer engine was Cobb Vance's right. uh, um, speeder bike, speeder. basically. Um, you, the crate dragon sound was actually the sound that Obi-Wan Kenobi originally made 
before the special edition changed it. So they used that same sound. Um, I don't know what 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 other references did you guys pick up on? What, it, what how did you feel? Was it too reference heavy or what? The Death Star explosion when they, they're showing that on the uh, hollow at the cantina, and uh, was it you, Dave, that found that uh, tweet that mentioned that the Aravash text around it was the ROTJ crawl? Yeah, yeah. The, the last <laughs> paragraph of the crawl. Yeah, uh, that was a fun Easter egg. Um, mm-hmm. I you know the. Um, one of the smaller things that people might not have noticed, well, there's a few, there's a couple actually. The uh, when the sand people were first meeting them, uh, those are the dog critters from Attack of the Clones. Yes, those are, you know, we've seen those creatures before. So when you see them, that's a clue that you're about to see the sand people. And not, probably a lot of people didn't pick up on that um, right away. Um, I loved the. Um, the design of the creature that tunnels right through town uh, took me back to Tremors. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I mean, I'm sh- I'm sure that was intentional. Um, I heard a lot of people talk about the, the just the references to Dune. You know, the, the yeah, sand the, sandworms. Sandworms, yeah, with the sandworms. And of course, yeah. they're it's they're in the Dune Sea as well. You know, but anyway, uh, keep going, Dave. What a, uh, what one other one for me, it was one of my favorite things. And um, you probably picked up on this if you're, you know, obsessive about the, the original trilogy like we are. But there's a callback to Return of the Jedi when Mando hits Vance's jetpack yes. to send him flying through the air, just like Han Solo did to Boba Fett uh, to knock him into the Sarlacc pit. So there's just like this really neat rhyming in that. Yeah, and you know it was intentional. You know it was intentional. Yeah. Well, I mean, I love the fact that even during the tech, during the speech, when they mention an abandoned Sarlacc pit, and it immediately made me think, is that the same Sarlacc pit from Return of the Jedi? And I went, I think it is. You know, the one that uh, yeah. Great Dragon makes a home in? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, I I didn't think of that at the time, but yeah. And watching it the second totally time. the same one. Yeah, watching it the second time, I kind of went because it goes, it leads into the spoiler for the end. But I was thinking, oh, so that's how. Okay. So what was what's neat about the Mandalorian? Mandalorian's really doing it, but you know the sequel trilogy started to do it as actually in, um, in the Last Jedi when, um, you know Luke starts making references to the prequels, but we're now starting to see. Um, the filmmakers and the, and the showmakers, like I said, bring everybody into the fold. It's not just about, you know, the Holy trilogy, you know, um, it's about, you know, it's about everything. Like I said, when you, when you're throwing in, like you said, Dave, the prequel references, um, with the, with the sand people dogs, the, you know, the, um, the original trilogy stuff with the, you know, band as, Tuscans always ride single file or uh, the jetpack thing. But then also, like I said, the books. And you're even going to start getting into the cartoon stuff if Sabine Wren is, you know, in this and Ahsoka as well. So I like that it's now saying that we're, we're all part of the same universe. Whereas it felt like there were, you had your book universe, you had your animated universe, and you had your cinematic universe. So you're really starting to see them pay homage to all that. And of course, kind of, 
Filoni's kind involved of bringing, in all of it, so you know, kind of bringing all the threads together. Yeah, I mean, it's they're doing what I think they wanted to do in the Rise of Skywalker, but kind of failed at. You know, um, so it's like I said, it's just making us all feel like part of the same universe. Um, so we, we, you know, and the, then of course, like I said, it's the the Western stuff was just even down to the spittoon and Baby Yoda hiding in the spittoon. You know. It was awesome. Um, mm-hmm. So the the new character that we got in this was Cobb Vanth. And here's where I was surprised. I think I, I asked in our speculation show, I said, do you think they're going to have some big blockbuster, you know, surprise like the Baby Yoda stuff? I'm actually quite surprised at how much they put in this first episode. Mm-hmm. I kind of thought the first episode would be, you know, okay, you're at Tatooine. It's like, okay, yeah, I've heard of him. I've seen somebody wear armor like that. I think he's over there. And then he runs into things. And at the very end, you might see a, you know, a shadow of Boba Fett's. Nope, it's like five minutes into the show. There's Boba Fett's armor. And he takes off the helmet. He says, I'm Cobb Vanth. And it's like, okay, guess we're going here. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> and I was loved this character. It was, I mean, it was, and I know Timothy Oliphant was, Oliphant was in Deadwood, but it was so cowboy. You know, it was, it was just so cowboy. He even had the old Dex's drawl or whatever. He's like, you know, let's get some spotchka and let's talk this thing out, you know. But I just felt like I was watching Tombstone in, you know, Star Wars. Uh, like I said, great character. And by the way, I have to say that he had awesome hair. Um, so I, I want Cobb Vance hair, but anyway, um, even with the helmet and I know. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Right. That's why you take I've, his helmet off. I've, I've said that I, you know, I'd love to have a scooter, you know, to get around, but I, I would drive me nuts having to wear a helmet cause I'd mess my hair up. But apparently if you wear a Mandalorian helmet, it doesn't get messed up. Um, but, uh, I was actually also surprised, uh, you know, having read, you know, the aftermath stuff, they really kind of held true to his story. They didn't really retcon much. There are some minor differences, but the way I'm looking at it, what's in my head canon is that, you know, the aftermath book is told from like, like if Dave and I saw the same, you know, situation, Dave would tell, you know, his family a story and I would tell my family a story. It'd be the same story, but there would be nuances that would be different, you know, um, so I wasn't too like, Oh, no, no, no. It was this in the book. It, it, it seemed to fit. Um, but, uh, so I'll just, I'll, those are my initial thoughts. what do you guys think of, did you think we were going to get Cobb Vanth right out the gate? Well, what's interesting is the moment that they said Tatooine or that, uh, uh, what's in Gore Koresh says Tatooine. I went, Oh wow, we're going here already. I really didn't think that we were going to get this episode at the start of the season. I thought, okay, we might do some other stuff, go to some new places, kind of bouncing around, and then lead into going back to um, to Tatooine and running into Cobb Band and all that. So I was surprised that we just right at the outset, boom, here we are. We're going there. Uh, and Dave and then, almost got his good, bad, and the ugly thing like right out the I, gate too because they, <laughs> they have a standoff in the cantina. So it's I, like all the speculations are gone in the first episode, you know? Yeah. 
Although, yeah, including say, yours of, with the big reveal at the end, which is you got. You know, we we, we got the big reveal at the end. But, uh, yeah, I'm sorry, you were going to say Fredo? No, no, I was just going to say, I mean, look at it from what, what the moment I saw, you know, Cobb Vanth in uh, Boba's armor, I was like, okay, how much of everything else that we've heard in Rumorville this summer is now, do I need now to take a bit more seriously? Just because it was like, okay, he he works. One of the things I loved, I mean, look, I, I'm an avowed justified fan. I, I love Deadwood. So I know that Timothy Oliphant can't deliver cowboys. There's a reason, you know, they play a cowboy character in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood because that's what the guy live, breathe in his sleep, which is funny because I think he's a Southern California kid. Anyway, uh, he nailed the character so well. I love his relationship with Mando, just the, you know, the interactions because it's, you know, it doesn't come from a position of you're trying to take what I want. It's a uh, I need the, you know I need this in order to help my people. Well, what are you going to do to help my people? But it but it was also yes, it was that, but it was also again having been a teacher for 19 years, I know how fights go. When when mm-hmm. two guys square off in the hall, there is a, they they size each other up and they realize, all right, this guy's going to he's going to be able to whoop my butt. And they really don't, they, they then try, they just talk a lot of stuff or they talk their way out of it or they, you know, it's very rare. Do you have, you know, the, yeah. So I think, I think Cobb Vanth saw Mando and he was like, yeah, this isn't going to go well for me, you know? So I've got, I've got to, how do, how do I, how do I not talk my way out of this, but how do I deescalate and how do I, you know, get this to a you know scenario where both of us are going to be happy you know right so yes he he says you know he cares about the town i believe that and everything but it was also a all right i don't really want to die here you know so what's the best route that i can take um i would agree with that you know and i think like um it doesn't diminish his you know his feelings for the townspeople like no, he's already a step yeah i mean he's established that at this point the way that he came back to rescue the town um i i think like he's such a compelling character in that regard and he seems to have such a good rapport with mando that i i can't help hoping that he makes a return at some point um I like pretty much everything about him from the design of the character. I like how he's tall. He, the armor doesn't quite fit him right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it's like it wasn't tailored yeah. for him, you know, so it's, it would make sense that it wouldn't quite fit him right. Um, I like how he utilized uh, the jetpack effectively. You know, he was a capable fighter. Um we almost got that gunfight that I've been itching for. You know, we may still get it. Uh, you know, and and again, like even though I want more, there's there's that opportunity that, like you, Aaron, you mentioned, like people can go back and read some of the Chuck Wendig stuff if they really responded to this character in the same way that we did. Well, you know, and I've heard some criticism of the fact that it didn't follow, you know, the books, but it's also like we only got, you know two minutes of his backstory from his own point of view there's it and if he comes back in a previous episode there's more that we can we can learn you know um 
and it's always the fish is always bigger you know well it's you know not a, remember han saying not if you round down you know mm-hmm. um so it, you can always fudge a story here and there but um i you know it i also liked how he was um he he was always in the middle you know it was it, 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 it seemed, I kept thinking, actually, I kept thinking Bendu and I, and then when we get to talking about man, Mando here in a little bit, I'm going to even talk, I think Mando is even becoming more like Bendu, but you know, um, it, it was, you had Mando on one side and the Tuscans, you know, on the other and Cobb Vanth was, you know, kind of buttoned up against, you know, both in different ways. Um, but, uh, it, he, I mean, he played the part of small town sheriff, you know, to a T it was, it just, it, and it, and it worked in star Wars. It just worked. And what's interesting is, cause I don't know. I mean, they don't mention what he was doing beforehand, but I love the fact that the very night that said so that we saw Mos Eisley celebrate the downfall of the empire, that the mining collective shows up to just take over Mos Belgo. Like, Nope, you're all my, you're all slaves. Now there's no power in the galaxy. And, uh, he, you know, he flees, Lux Lux into run into the Jawas and then his choice are more run away or come back and you know, knock them out and he that's what he does. Well he learned how to aim that rocket pack rather well or the yeah. rocket launcher. Yeah, and fly it too. Um yeah. you know, and actually there's a there's a we don't have to get into this discussion, but there was something also that was, you know, a bigger, you know, ex outside of Star Wars and into real world type of thing. You know, when people are that whole, you know, without, without power, you know, when power leaves, there's a vacuum, like you said, um, you know, it is one of those things when you start talking about, um, you know, the movements of, you know, if you know, people just said, let's, for example, if was, let's just burn our, you know, way of governing to the ground and build it back up. It's like, there is that, you know, there is the possibility that when you create that vacuum that, you know, it, it, it just doesn't turn on a dime like that. You know, things, people right. will take advantage of situations. Um, so it really does start making you think about, you know, you know, just the, the different, yeah, I, I, again, I don't want to get into any larger discussions here, but, um, it, it was a good, it was a good point. And that's actually what the aftermath trilogy talks about, was, you know, the New Republic really had a hard time, you know, getting things started because how do you just build from the ground up? You know, American history class makes it look like so easy, right? Oh, you just write Mm -hmm. a constitution and everything just works. You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, um, this was a Favreau-directed episode. Um, So, like, it really, I, I appreciate that he dove into some of that because that's what those aftermath books is all about. And this is the same time period, you know? And so it, it would just stand to reason that you need to sort of touch on some of those bigger, more galaxy defining issues as this story becomes bigger, because he's going to expand his sphere of who he interacts with. We've talked about this, you know, through the course of, you know, just finding a home for the for the child, he's going to need to potentially interact with Jedi, get a deeper understanding of that universe. Um, we've talked about the potential for Palpatine 
shenanigans to enter into the fold at some point. And so it's like, you know, these are bigger picture things. So obviously he's going to have more, um, the story and the character are going to go along that path of, well, this is political. This is a political statement. This is, um, a larger topic, so to speak. So, I want to. I want. We're going to keep talking about Cobb Vance, but I want to get into Mando um, mm-hmm. and how he changed, um, because that was something that it struck me right out the gate, and and really, really hit me hard when he lands in Mos Eisley, and the you know the pit droids come running up, and you know she says, "No, stay away." Remember, he doesn't like droids. He's like, "Ah, just you know, let him work on it." I was like, "Whoa." I was like, oh yeah, okay, well yeah, that that what happened with IG eleven, you know, has started to change his paradigm of droids and how he feels about droids. But then throughout the whole episode, he's also far more chatty. He's he's not long winded, but he's longer winded. He's he's going to give away more verbally because in the first in the first season especially in those first, you know, first half of the season, um, you know, you didn't get many, I was wondering, it's like, man, Pedro Pascal, like got a great paycheck for not having to say many words. You know, we talked about how you would communicate how a lot of times those episodes were not a lot of dialogue. Um, but now he's becoming more verbose. Um, and he, so he's letting his guard down. He's, he's allowing himself to be more vulnerable with people, um, which I think, and this is the last thing I'm going to say, and we'll, we'll let you guys chime in, but I think that's going to be the overall, one of the overall themes that we're going to see with him is that he had such a narrow focus. This is the way. And I think he's going to start seeing that, especially if he's going to come into contact with other Mandal- Mandalorians who take off their helmet, who you know, might be this, that, or the other, or he's going to hear, you know, from one person that Jedi are, you know, evil and kill my father. And he's going to run into a Jedi and find out that they're not so bad of people. I think he's going to start develop his own, you know, idea of what it means to be a Mandalorian. And so he's going to be more of that Bendu, you know, more in the middle. It's not just all this. It's not all that it's, you know, a mixture of both, but he's definitely changed a bunch in one episode. Right. I think, yeah. You know, one thing I would say about that too, is like, um, there, you can like look at his pursuit of Boba's armor in a couple of different ways. Right. Um, he, he encountered, he comes out to Tatooine looking for connection with a Mandalorian He does not encounter a Mandalorian. He wants that armor. Um, So you can read into that a couple of different ways. One way you can read into it is he's still obsessed with this concept of the armor and of protecting himself and of um, sort of connecting to the Mandalorian culture um, through that as well you know like this is what defines him because we've talked about how he was essentially adopted um 
that that little detail we got in season one. He wasn't a Mandalorian by blood. Um, and so for him, it's always kind of a proving ground kind of a thing for him to to just embrace this strict, hard line, really um, tight, narrow view of what a Mandalorian can be, right? Um, but then what you're saying, Aaron, is, is exactly right. We've seen him grow as a person. Um, and I think, I think there's kind of a yin, there's like a push and a pull on, on, on his character in this way is like, he's, he's trying to hold on to this very narrow concept of what he could or should be. And baby Yoda is pulling him out of that. Um, and you know, it, I, I really, one of the theories that I bandied about before, uh, last week, um, our last episode, was that there may be a potential conflict of interest for him at some point. Um, and I'm wondering if we've already seen it in the opening scene of this, uh, of this, of this chapter. Um, he puts the child at potential risk chasing a lead that we're not sure means anything he's like i'm i'm trying to find other mandalorians well what makes you think that finding other mandalorians will help you find the origin of the child or where the child needs to go and he's he says it's because of the network and all this you know but it's like for me it does that it doesn't really pass the smell test um, and so I'm thinking he's kind of telling himself what he wants to hear with that. Um, and I think like at some point we may, it may come back to bite him in the butt. Yeah. And I, th I think that's an interesting, I mean, and you speak about, you both spoke about it, uh, to the dynamic that's present that he, he's no longer the character we met in chapter one. He has shifted his way of dealing and looking at the world because he was very much a stark black and white, you pay me, I do this, I don't care kind of character. His interactions with Baby Yoda brought into him relationships beyond just the covert with the Mandalorian where, you know, he didn't standing there what we saw in Chapter 3. We saw that, you know, the other Mandalorians didn't quite necessarily look, you know, treat him with any respect or any kind of way, whereas... People like um, Grief Karga, Cara Dune, uh, IG-11, Quill, uh, the people he's run around everywhere, look at him and go, wow, he's a Mandalorian. You know, we got to, you know, treat him a different kind of way. And he's also looking for ways to talk his way out of situations instead of just blasting. Like, it's an interesting moment when Bob Van, the Tuscan Raider, are yelling at each other because they're two people of, who've shed each other's blood and Mando's response is, okay, let me turn on the flamethrower, scare everybody down and remind everybody that they need to work together. I don't know that Mando in season one, chapter one, said does any of that. But I think the character that we've seen go through this journey would, does, and that that's changing him. So it'll be interesting to see how further the presence of baby Yoda and all these other relationships shifts his dynamic. Well, yeah, like I said, I just, I come back to, um, 
if what Fredo you were saying earlier is like, okay, so do we give any credence to these other rumors that we, you know, heard and we report on? Like I said, if we let, let's say we're going to see Katie Sackoff as Bo-Katan and we're going to see uh, the uh, what's her Sasha Banks as Sabine mm. Wren, you know, we're we're going he's again, he's we're going to revisit the fact that the Mandalorians are are clans and they're different different rules for different, you know, and different ideas of what a Mandalorian is. And really, I, I kind of liken it to, it's almost like he's, you know, we're, mom and dad always take, you know, take us to church and we go, we're of a certain religion, you know, most of us or whoever it's. And then when we get old enough, we start making our own decisions. It's like, yeah, I, I, I don't really buy into this, but I buy into this over here or my spiritual journey is taking me over this way. And that's what he's doing now, because it seems like he's been in that one covert forever. And now that's not there. And so he's right. starting to, you know, discover what within himself, what does it mean to be a Mandalorian? Um, and I think that is just, I, I think that's going to be the intriguing story. And I think also from a, you know, another perspective, it's going to give them an out for him to take off his helmet so people can actually see Pedro Pascal later on in the season. Anyway, right. hey, you know, if he had, if he has a failing as a character, I do think that that might be it. He has, you know, a, an insecurity about um, his role and where he fits in, and he's trying to. You know, understandably, he's trying to figure out where he fits in, and he's trying to, um, you know, discover more about his roots and what options are available to him. But again, I, I wonder if it's at the expense of this other path that's in front of him, which yeah. is help the child. You know, and also look at, at and I'm sorry not to not to talk past you, but at the other part of this is that look at the way when he first meets Cobb Vanth it's take the armor off or I will take it off yeah. you know um, and he lets him wear the armor for the rest of the episode there is a respect that is gained and you know a, a mutual admiration that you know okay this guy's not so bad you know because he's wearing the armor doesn't make him a bad guy and maybe is he you know, you're not Mandalorian, you know, well, and then of course, maybe, you know, neither is Din Djarin. He's not right. Mandalorian either. He was, you know, he was a foundling. Um, so, you know, so I, again, I see that, I just, I see that, you know, there's going to be that struggle and Dave, I think you're right. You know, it's, he's going to probably find himself getting pulled. I want to explore more of this Mandalorian stuff, but, you know, I got this kid over here and does he just because he, he does he gets off the speeder bike and goes into the bar, leaves him on, you know, in the bag in the speeder bike, you know, <laughs> takes him into Gamorrean Fight Club. You're right. There is kind of this just laissez faire, you know, uh, oh, he'll hey, be all right. Cop, he's he's seen worse, you know. Yeah. Cop vent up front, up, up, no, just up in essence. You want to really do this in front of the kid. And that's what he says. You've seen worse. And I'm like, yeah, but that doesn't mean you don't really, you know normally ex expose your child to a risky situation where his own parent figure is going to die normally. So let's, uh, let's shift a little bit. Let's talk some uh, Tusken Raiders. 
Um, you know, it was, first of all, I loved their introduction in the first season. And I, I love the fact that, you know, they used American Sign Language and all that. Um, Actually, just to, just to correct you, that was uh, deaf actor Troy Kotzer created Tuscan Sign Language. Well, yeah, I mean, yeah, in the it's based on yeah, American yeah. Sign Language, but in the first... Yeah, basically. You know, but anyway, yeah. um, from what my wife said, you know, after we've watched the episode a couple times, she says, I really like how they've saved the Tuscan Raiders. You know that we're introduced to the you know we're we're introduced to them as savages as you know you know we call them sand people you know we I mean they they, they had a Derivative. racial slur for them you know um, it was you know even in the prequels then you know they those Tuscans walk like men but they're you know animals and Anakin and I slaughtered them like animals you know so there's and we're we're seeing. I mean, that's, let's get back to the Western motif. This was, you know, this was, you know, the, the, you know, the, the U S troops and the native Americans, you know, yeah, that's, it's, it's what it was, but you know, we're seeing the Tuscans that, and I loved Mando's thing he says, are they brutal? Yes. But so is the Dune Sea, you know, are mm-hmm. they raiders? You know? Yeah. But you know, they're, they're true to their word. You know, he, it's, he's making a, you know, a comment to, you know, you only are focusing on one aspect of them, you know, but look at, you know, you don't understand their whole culture. And right. so, so I, 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 I don't know. I, I, what do you think about, the, you know, the Tuscan Raiders and what, what do you, and are we going to see more of them? Do you, th- do you like what, what Favreau and Filoni are doing with them? And I don't know, we'll go from there. I like them. Uh, I mean, remember, outside of their brief moment in A New Hope, we really haven't seen or spent or gotten to know anything about them beyond that big moment in Attack of the Clones when they, for some reason, kidnap Shmi, and then Anakin goes to rescue her, finds her uh, before Destiny's all on your luck. Hey, that's the extent of your knowledge about them. Uh, I will say that Natalie Republic does a good job of giving you a bit more background on them, but I love what they've done with those with that group in this show because from last season and this one, you see that uh, Mando has a strong respect for the Tuscan culture. He knows that they're not pleasant. He knows that they're uh, tough, brutal people, but as he says, they need to be that way to live in such a harsh climate and you know, as long as you recognize what their culture does and says and you respect their ways, it's interesting. He says, they're not going to break the peace. They're not going to be the ones to break the peace. It's going to be one of you who's going to break the peace, talking to the most valuable people. Well, and it's, you know, it, it, from Batman Begins, you know, what uh, when he says, we only you always fear what you don't understand. You know, and, and if mm-hmm. and there's also the quote is like, you know, if we were judged on our worst day, you know, we judged the, the Tuscan Raiders from the get-go, from how they attacked Luke. They attacked Luke. They must be bad. These are bad guys. Right. You know? Right. And so, we, you know, we all fell into that trap in 19, you know, 77. 77. Mm-hmm. So, um, I don't know. Dave, What? how do you feel about how they're using Tusken Raiders in this show? Yeah, I think um, this is direct. You know, the hero with a thousand faces, 
um, we talk about that, how these are, these are themes and stories that you can see over and over and over and over again in, in various cultures. But for me, when I see the sand people, I immediately think of Native Americans because that's the story that's nearest and dearest to my heart, um, you know, as a fan of American history and um, what our, you know, what we have experienced in this country. And so, like, um, and, you know, watching old Westerns and everything else, um, I think, so that's the, the easiest correlation for me to make. And for me to make that correlation um, and then see them as mindless brutes or described in that way, um, I've always felt that that was very easily unfair and not um, indicative of what their people truly were. Mm -hmm. um, and so, and it's, it's, you know, it's very, we're just going to paint them with a broad brush. We're going to dismiss them because they're bad and they're evil and they're, and they're against us. And, and that's what they are. And um, it's not, <laughs> it's never that simple. <laughs> and that's not the way that things are. And, um, and I really like that, that we're getting more confirmation of that now. Like you're, like you spoke to Brittany's reaction of it. It's like, you're rescuing these characters in a way, because I think it was always under the surface that there was more there. Um, I think that there, I think it was implied like these people aren't, they're not strictly speaking savage. They're not evil. Um, but we never really got any sort of on film confirmation of that. Yeah. And so it's, it's really good. That, 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 you know, for, for a lot of people, again, it's, it's not spelled out and it's not shown. It's like you, it's open to interpretation. You can, you can look at them as being that it's like, well, they're very justified in saying that they're mindless creatures, you know? Um, and I'm, I think I always think like that's missing the point, and that was always missing the point from the very beginning. But we're we didn't have confirmation of that. We didn't have, you know, well, but we clear always, example. We we always sided with the people we liked because you know Star mm -hmm. Wars has always been a morality tale. Right. You know, yep. it, it's always been a morality tale. But you know, we always saw yeah, Anakin. He, they 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 killed his mom. So he was right in slaughtering all of them. It's like, well, you know, obviously, you know, the Tuscan Raiders have, you know, with their, their protective of their, their land, you know, and of their region. So did, did Shmi go, you know, wandering in without, you know, their blessing really, you know what I mean? I am not saying she deserved to be tortured and killed and everything like that. But there's always, you know, there's always more to that story. So, like I said, and I love the fact that the Mandalorian is telling us this, you know, this morality tale to, the, you know, when you have, and I'm going to come out and say this, when you have Black Lives Matter and you have people who are, you know, anti-Black Lives Matter. And it's like, you know, it's like, you know what, you know, it put, check your white privilege at the door because you're missing out. You're not, you're, you don't understand, you know where they're coming from. You're not listening to them. You're not, you know, you're not trying to be empathetic in the least bit and you're dismissing right. them by, you know, 
by you know co-opting their phrase or you're dismissing their message or you know their feelings or anything by you know coming up with your you know by just saying that they're they deserve this they deserve that or blah 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 so you know i I think they were speaking directly to those divisions that we have right now you know so yeah yeah i mean absolutely but i also say like again this these are space westerns um and so like if you want to look for those sorts of connections as well they're really i did i did did think i did think of the ending of blazing saddles as well you know it's like (laughs) (laughs) yeah i forgot to mention that earlier we'll we'll give land to blank and blank (laughs) the irish yeah i mean yeah you do it for randolph scott randolph scott Well, the, the other thing is, like we we talked about in those other episodes, with this theme of defeating, banding the people together to defeat the common foe, like the three amigos reference. You know, yeah. like, we haven't made that yet. You know, um, but like for for this aspect of it, um, and like you know, talking about the sand people, and in particular, like what happened in Attack of the Clones. And how that influences everything else that we think about them. Um, people should check out The Searchers. Um, oh, God, which, yes. yeah, uh, that that's an old Western from the 50s. Uh, John Ford. Um, a, a child is abducted by Comanches. And now your moral compass is broken. Um, mm-hmm. That's essentially that movie. And you know, take from that what you will, but you know, it's easy to demonize people who you don't interact with regularly. So now I'll just I, say that. I said, uh, if I had one criticism of this episode, it was the fact that it, it would seem really similar to, you know, when they had to take on the ATST, um, in the first season. And that, and so now I'm going to say that, I mean, that's my one criticism, but it's a lame criticism. Because it's one of my, it, if I have a problem with any any other, you know, people who are um, recapping these episodes, it's like if they're if if that was their chief complaint and they just lived on that, it's like after watching the first season, you have to be thinking the long game. That you can't mm-hmm. think episode to episode. If you think what was what was the goal of this episode? Okay, Mando needed to see Boba Fett's armor and had to lead us to this cameo that we're going to talk about in a second. I mean, that's really what was going on here is, you know, they just, and so the rest of it is just, we need some sort of thing for them to do. And, um, I have a feeling, you know, the Tuscan Raiders are going to come back because that was a chief part of this episode, but it was also about, like I said, Mando figuring out, you know, kind of kind of coming to his own in his own identity but anyway it's like you can't you can't criticize this episode for being like another one it's can't call it a filler episode something it's going to lead us somewhere longer game um so that being said the cameo at the end now we can say it so um and everybody probably already knows it but as we're (laughs) i i was actually really shocked by this I mean, because we got to the end of the episode and it was just riding off. And then all of a sudden you see 
a Tuscan Raider and it's like he's not wearing his little you know Tuscan face mask what's up with this and then turns around and it's Tamura Morrison and he's actually credited at the end of the episode as well they gave him credit for you know turning around and walking towards the camera so Boba Fett is at the end and he's wearing Tuscan Raider gear mm-hmm. now interesting enough like I said watching a uh, it was New Rock Stars. It's a YouTube channel. They just do, you know, reaction and Easter egg stuff. The The first time that you see Mando sitting around the fire with Tusken Raiders, this is be, I, I can't, well, is it the first time? It's like, anyway, there's one Tusken Raider who's sitting outside of the group with arms crossed and just kind of staring at Mando. He's not engaged mm-hmm. in the conversation, but he's just kind of, and so their thought is that Boba Fett's been around him this entire time, but as one of the Tuscans. Well, I mean, the interesting thing, I mean, first thing, when I, the moment that I saw him speeding away past the twin sons, I was like, okay, they're not cutting away. They're not cutting away. And then, oh, that's why they're not cutting away. Cause I thought <laughs> that was, that was a perfect kind of, you know, Iris moment and, you know, go to credits. So it clearly was to set up that going back to kind of what I said earlier about an abandoned Sarlacc pit hole, uh, so abandoned Sarlacc pit. And it's like, well, that would explain how the Sarlacc died. I mean, Boba, you know, caught his way out, killed the Sarlacc, great dragon found a dead Sarlacc, just ate it and then decided to make its home there. Uh, but the idea, because what's interesting is this, I wonder, you know, you gotta start wondering, how did the armor come off of him? Did he mm-hmm. cast it down? Did the Jawas rip it off of him? Did he trade it for whatever? Or has he been searching for it? Could did the Sarlacc not in? digest Beskar? Right, because it's you know it's it's been intonated now. I mean, from the very from the opening scene, we know that Beskar is highly valuable, highly prized, and we know that it can withstand more blaster fire. So there's reasons for it. So it makes you wonder, how did Boba and the, his armor come to be apart? I, you know, there's a lot of questions. Uh, mm. <laughs> and it's fun. Um, like my, my favorite question of all is probably, is this in line with what, Aaron, you had been asking, which was, is, there's a big reve- is there a big reveal at the end of the episode, right? Um, well, yeah, there, we have that question answered, but in the case of baby Yoda, that dictated the direction of the entire series for the, for the, you know, the next eight episodes. Um, is this a very similar sort of reveal? Uh, is Boba Fett going to play a big role over the course of season two? Like, Mm -hmm. that's the biggest question in my mind. I like... There's a lot of other stuff like, where's he been? Why is he hanging out with Tuscans? Why is he looking kind of chunky? What happened to Slave One? Uh, you know, there's a whole lot here where I'm just like, well, you couldn't know, he have made his way off planet by now and or retrieved his armor by now? But what we don't what, know. What Favreau and Filoni is doing here is actually quite, again, it gets to my, my point about you know, Mandalorian is going to be, you know, Din's going to be struggling with what people are telling him because 
he's been quested to find Jedi. And now he's going to be interacting with one who don't like Jedi all that much. Right. You know, because, because a Jedi killed, like I said, Jedi killed his daddy. So he's going to be, and, and Luke had played a part in sending him into the Sarlacc pit. If it wasn't for that stupid Jedi kid, I would be still, you know, having drinks on Jabba's sail barge and everything would be just fine. And you're going, so you're going to, I think you're going to see he's, so fast forward just a second, you know, the next episode, mm-hmm. um, the synopsis is the Mandalorian must ferry a passenger with precious cargo on a risky journey. So probably thinking we're going to see the boat, the boat show, you know, uh, mm-hmm. but I really think the beginning of that episode is going to be, he's going to have interaction with Boba Fett and well, well, anyway, he's going to have interaction with Boba Fett and it's going to come out. Yeah, I'm supposed to find these people called Jedi. And he's going to say, you watch out for Jedi because they will chop your head off. And so then when he gets interacting with Jedi further down the road, he's going to have that paradigm in his head. You know, a Mandalorian told me that they're bad people, you know, so it's, but then he's going to get into Sabine Wren, talk to Sabine Wren and said, well, it's one of my best friends is a Jedi. It's like, he's going to be struggling with all these, who do I believe type thing. Go ahead, Fredo. So, no, so two things. First of all, we know that Boba is not Mandalorian. Well, so under, I mean, well, we've he's, not. Said, he's not. Jango wasn't. Well, we it wouldn't be the first time they retcon something, but anyway, go ahead. True. But, but neither, neither point. is Din Djarin. Din Djarin's not a but Mandalorian no. either. Right, but what does Din Djarin's Mandalorian code say about Mandalorians who lose their armor? We've it's been stressed that you you do not remove your helmet or lose it or somebody takes it from you. So how's Din gonna treat a Mandalorian to use air quotes who not only had his face revealed but had his whole Beskar armor stripped from him? Well, that's what I'm saying. He's going, he's going to be dealing with that because Sabine always took her helmet off and so did Bo-Katan. He's going to, that's the things, that's what I'm getting at. He's going to be dealing with all these things. But I guess what my point is, it's we have somebody who was not of Mandalorian blood raised in the strictest reading of the Mandalorian code. That tells you that he should look at Boba Fett at best as somebody who failed and at worst potentially an enemy. So wonder what their interaction is actually going to be like, whether he would trust anything Boba says, because it's going to be like, well, even if you were Mandalorian at one point, I got your armor right here, homie. So uh, you ain't got nothing to say. I think, I think Boba wearing Tusken Raider gear shows us that he has probably, if he hasn't been integrated into the Tusken Raider culture, um, he had minimum got that gear off of a Tuscan Raider and is integrated in that environment. Um, so I don't think it's likely at all that he's going to get off planet uh, anytime soon. I think what's likelier is he understands Mandalorian's attachment to Cobb Vant and that town, and he may want to put that town in peril to bring him back. Right. And I think it's it's an it creates a new dynamic for a continuation of that dynamic for Din, where he's not, you know, he's looking for other Mandalorians who he can trust on his quest. And the Mandalorians he's going to run into are nothing like the Mandalorians who, uh, who uh, he's running, you know, he's been with, kind of like what you say, Aaron. But also it's going to, 
And I think this is why we're getting Boba Fett so early in the season. That's why you have his reveal. It's because this is going to be the season. It's going to be all about then finding out what it means to be a Mandalorian for himself, away from the covert and the code and everything. So, um, one, I don't. I want to. I, I want to say it real quick again that I. I think actually, the the more direct reason why Boba Fett is here is to put a conflicting thoughts of the Jedi into Din's head. I mean, that's the, that's mm-hmm. the obvious one. Um, but so now let's, so now that we've seen Boba Fett, let's go back to the gunslinger. Do we still think that that is Boba Fett at the end of that? Do we think it is, I don't, I, I'm going to say, I don't mm-hmm. think it's Boba Fett at the end of that. I don't think it's Cobb Vanth at the end of that because Cobb Vanth don't have a cape that hangs down to his ankle. Um, it does have spurs. They did make he did they did make the spurs sounds a lot, but 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 again, no, but, okay, right. but uh, you know, and we know that nobody in Star Wars changes their clothes except for every three years. Um, so, <laughs> do you, what do you guys? I mean, has that been in your brain? What do you think? Is that do you still think that it's either Boba Fett or Cobb Vanth at the end of that episode? And Glockham's Razor, it, it's probably one of the two, and more likely Cobb because he has the the gear. And like you said, Boba Fett is rocking Sand People gear at this point. So, um, course, as, as soon as I say that, I don't think it's Cobb Vanth anymore. Cobb Vanth also was not all didn't act all that surprised to see the Mandalorian. He did not. Yeah, he was. He did not act surprised. Um, it was it was really quick to say all right let's just sit down let's let's have some spotchka i mean yeah i mean cool customer sure but it, you didn't say like you know there was there was no panic or like what the are you doing here it's almost like he saw him coming so could have been cob vanth but i don't know fredo no i think uh realistically looking at it i don't think it's cob vanth put it that way and I don't now I'm less certain that it was Boba Fett. So it creates a dynamic of who, who it could have been. And it brings us back to Cat your Pain. favorite guy. Cat exactly. Pain. Which again, but no, we did you know this the episode cuts before Din has left Tatooine. So if you want to bring him up, he might be the pet we're talking about for chapter 10. Uh, upset alert, it was Bosk. <laughs> Boss kind of spurs. So uh I mean we could we could sit here and speculate it would be the a repeat of what we've already done. I I I really do think this next episode I'm looking forward to this next episode because if it is on the boat then that means we're going to see Sasha Banks character. So we're we're still in the deep end of the pool, you know. So um but I I can't imagine they would start that episode off of Tatooine. I have a feeling that the first part of it will be, again, there will be some interaction with Boba Fett because he's got to, he's got to get, there's got to be a connection to another Mandalorian. And, you know, he might say, I've heard of whatever. I don't know. Um, But, um, yeah, I, this is. I'm now. I'm just 
more excited than I was a week ago. So I think it's what I'm, what I'm liking a lot is that they're not wasting any time. They're like, here we go. You know what you came here to see. Bam, let's go. Let's hit, let's hit this ground running. And they are giving us everything that we've been asking for right at the outset. Whether or not that means that we will get those rumored uh, Carrot Dune and Grief Karga focused episodes later on down the line, and this is why. It's interesting, but I don't know. You know the I'm other liking thing, it right now. The other thing we haven't talked about, let's just talk about the special effects in this episode was incredible for, mm-hmm. for a TV show. You know what I mean? They spent all their money on that crate dragon. That was, oh, yeah. that was, I mean, I just, I don't know. What you, did you, were you guys blown away yeah. by that? Yeah, no, they did great. Um, and the other thing you mentioned earlier that I wanted to agree with you on, I thought Ludwig Gorenson, uh really expanded on what he did in season one here in, in a really fun and interesting way, like noticeable right away. Uh, the, the music, style shifted quite a bit and uh i appreciated that as well mm-hmm. now i was thinking the moment when you when i was watching it the moment where mando and cop vanth jetpack to the top of the mountain alongside the great dragon that was a i mean you have a composite of two live actors in costume with this entirely cgi created thing and all of them fit in the same space and appropriately. It doesn't look like it's something superimposed or like they're standing far away or, or on a green screen or anything like that. It looks great. So that gives me hope that Disney has gone, okay, we know this is a big moneymaker. Uh, let's keep the gravy train going. And they're supporting it wholeheartedly. Of course, it's also, you know, it's like I, I tell the kids that I teach music lessons to. It's like I, I want to teach you. I, I'm not teaching you how to take you know, shortcuts, but I want you to work smarter, not harder, you know? And so I think they're figuring out how to create the, you know, with the volume and everything, they're able to, you know, create a show a certain way so that they can put more of their resources into the things that make sci-fi TV shows look hokey. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to look like, you know, a ship that's on a string, you know, it's like, well, we figured out how to create environments on the cheap by, you know, using a game engine so that we can, and use them over and over and over again so that we can spend our money over here on this awesome crate dragon. So uh, on the costumes, on the makeup, on the, because you look at whether it's the bartender at the cantina or a gore at the start. I mean, those are, you know, very gnarly looking dudes, but they fit alongside and even, the Gamorian guards who look, you know, they look svelte. They look thinner. They did. I've actually, <laughs> I've actually got a friend in Omaha who uh, has a Gamorian guard. He's in the 501st as a Gamorian guard. It is just awesome. <laughs> I'll have to find the YouTube clip of us doing. It was a. It, we're at a hockey game doing a dance off. It was me and my stormtrooper armor, you know, on ice, going, "Oh, please, Lord, don't wow. let me fall." And yeah, the Gamorian guard ended up winning. I'll find it and I'll I'll yeah. send it to you guys. I, I, will, I will say the Gamorian guards did skip leg day though. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so uh, I don't know. Final thoughts. Um, you know, can the, I ask you guys um, before we go that Knights of the Old Republic? I never played it. Uh, so the pearl I inside the great dragon. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Does that have any special significance, or is it just an Easter egg? Because it, very, it really made it was a very big valuable. Deal. It was very valuable. Okay. Um, but I think that was one of those things that it's like I th- I'm, have a feeling Dave Filoni probably said, and we got to take out a pearl because it's going to make all these people just lose their Matanke. minds. That that's mm-hmm. the only reason that you know because I was wa- actually watching the the blind wave reaction to it. And they're like, Oh, great dragon. Hope they get the pearl. Hope they get the pearl. I'm like, what? The-? because actually the first time I watched that episode, when they pulled out, I was like, what is it, an egg? You know, it was a, you know, or, or, suka, <laughs> yeah. suka, you know, but yeah. I, so I had well, to do some research on that one, but yeah, it's, but I now, after all the research I've done, it's like, it had to be, Nope. We got, it's you watch this. It was the Tarascasi thing from solo, right? Some nerd <laughs> right, said, right. put this in there and everybody's going to lose their minds. The, the catch is that, you know, you can only get that. That's, that's in the gizzards of the great dragon. So the only proof that you have, cause you can't pick up the great dragon and bring it back and show everybody you've done kill the great dragon, but you can pick up the pearl, bring that back and show everybody I did kill a great dragon. Because it's the only way you can get one. So it's kind of like a proof of, of a great deed. Because it was one thing at the end of the episode, Mando was like wrapping some great dragon steaks or something yeah. on the yeah. back of a feeder bike. Has but, Baby Yoda's <laughs> pushing, yeah, poking at it, yeah. Yeah, whereas the, the, the Tuscans are basically carving up the great dragon, leaving it like, like nothing to the bone. But then when they show the pearls, like, yeah, that's Mark of Honor. We killed a great dragon because it's not easy. So and again, that's what I like. It's those things they're they're bringing in, the books, the video games, the the cartoons, the you know, the movies, everything. And they're they're saying, you know, for a long time, Star Wars fans have been, you know, that's not my Star Wars, that's mm-hmm. not my Star Wars. This is my Star Wars, and now they're starting to say, no, no, no. What you know what? It all has a place, and that's what I'm that's what I'm digging about this show. I'm you know. And honestly, it's making me want to, like I said, I had to research it and figure it out so I could celebrate in somebody else's, you know, geekdom here, you know. Um, so it's making me a little bit more interested in some of these other things that weren't my Star Wars growing up. Right. And that's one of the things that I, you know, appreciate about what Dave Filoni likes to do is that he's not unwilling to ignore anything that could give him, you know, the stories even further flavor, further sense of existing within this big universe. I'm going to rewind about five minutes, five, 10 minutes, because Fredo, what you said earlier about, you're talking about the Tuscans, how they said, you know, he said they're, they stick to their words, said they ain't going to break the peace unless one of you do it. And then mm-hmm. Dave, you, I think said something about how you think Boba's going to do something to get Mando back to Tatooine. Mm-hmm. He's going to ditch that. Well, he's going to be wearing the Tuscan gear and he's going to, gun down oh, people in Mos Pelgo and cause a big civil war between them and the Tuscans. And that, yeah. that, that's a perfect way. He's got already the gear to pretend. And all it takes is another um, uh, another a Tuscan raider to see him getting shot. And for it's, all of them to go. it's such an important line that seems like a throwaway. So they will not break the peace unless one of you do. Right do it first right so either so, boba fett's going to look like a villager and take out a tuscan or he's going to do something yeah he's going to he's going to play some shenanigans sorry totally rewound yeah. there for a second but 
Yeah. Well, no, it, it actually that actually makes a ton of sense. Well, that's my one for the day. So on that, <laughs> just want to remind you that uh, you can find our uh, podcast. We have a new place where you can find our podcast, right? Because it's been Podbean, yes. it's been Google Podcasts, it's been Apple Podcasts, and Dave. Now we are on Spotify. Yes. 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 And we are also on uh, TuneIn, which is the Alexa nice. uh, thing. So uh, you can find us on Spotify. You can find us on TuneIn. Um, other other options pending. So um, and all those places, you know, give a give a good review. You know, don't give a bad review. We don't want bad reviews. Um, <laughs> um, yeah, so uh, yeah, just give a good review. If it's a bad review, just go find another podcast to listen to. That's fine. Uh, or, or you can give us suggestions on how we can improve. But make sure they're uh, you know productive. Anyway, uh, but you can also find us on social media. You know, three of us have, uh, I think probably two or more active than the other. I don't. I'm not all that active. I just post pictures of my dog. Um, but uh, otherwise, but we do like to talk Star Wars. Um, and then our you can find so you can find us on Twitter. You can find us on Facebook. Um, please interact with us. It's a nice diversion from an otherwise boring day. Um, but uh, until then, this Sunday we've got Tampa Bay, and Sunday Tampa night. Tampa Bay looks very vulnerable after the Giants almost made them cry last night. Um, we watched that entire game because it was they almost beat them. Oh my goodness! So they're very vulnerable. Um, so go Saints um, but other than that well I guess we'll leave it at who dat and uh, everybody have a great safe week and we'll see you later my tongue